In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to first say what an honor and a joy it is to be with you. I was delighted when I received the invitation from uh, your dean, and it's a real pleasure and privilege to be uh, preaching today as part of this series. One of the most haunting stories in the Old Testament begins like this. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. In this season of Lent, as we prepare our hearts and minds to focus on the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus, I think it may be especially appropriate to linger over a passage of scripture like this one. In this story of Abraham and his son Isaac, I think we may glimpse the depth and anguish of our Lord's self-giving for us. Notice how the story starts with a drumbeat that highlights the costliness of what Abraham is being asked to do. Listen, there are actually four drumbeats. God asks for Abraham's son, his only son, his son who is named Isaac, whom he loves, as if to hammer home the depth of the sacrifice God is asking for. God doesn't just say son. He says only son. He doesn't just say only son. He says Isaac. He doesn't just say Isaac. He says whom you love. Abraham had already been asked by this point to surrender his past when God had told him to leave his homeland and his kindred. And now here he is being asked to surrender his future as well. All his hopes of happiness in his old age and all his expectations of a lineage of offspring will here be dashed. Abraham's only legitimate heir is being singled out by God for sacrifice, for death. As the great Lutheran commentator Gerhard von Rad once put it, this story has to do with a road out into God-forsakenness. A road on which Abraham does not know that God is only testing him. So our, so our story continues. Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. Notice how reticent The narrator is. We're we're given no explicit description of Abraham's thoughts as he wakes and makes ready to travel. We're only given hints and evocations. We're offered no account of what he may have said or not said to his servants or his son first thing in the morning as they go. We're left to our imaginations as we watch helplessly Abraham bundling sticks for the burnt offering, for the fire he will kindle at Moriah. Our hearts are filled with dread, but we, the readers, have to supply the words that might conjure Abraham's interior state. In an unbearably poignant detail, I think, the text does say what comes next. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. 
And what follows is, a, of course, a conversation between Abraham and Isaac about this, this strange journey they're taking as father and son. Isaac notices that his father has brought fire and wood, but he can't understand the lack of a lamb to kill or burn on the altar. And so Abraham says to him, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they, they go on together on that lonely journey. The dramatic conclusion to the story is, is one that we all know well. When Abraham and Isaac arrive at Moriah, Abraham lays out the wood on the altar, binds his son Isaac and places him on top of the wood and raises his knife to plunge it into his son's heart. At just that moment, at the last possible second, the angel of the Lord appears and interrupts Abraham's movement. He says to Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then Abraham's eyes are, of course, opened, and he beholds a ram caught in a nearby thicket, and he frees it from the thicket, and he sacrifices the ram instead of his son Isaac. And then he draws the following conclusion, the Lord will provide. Whatever else this story is about, and I think it's one of those resonant stories, it's about many, many things. The narrator makes sure we know that it is about Abraham's complete Surrender of himself to God. And I think there are multiple ways the text makes this point. First, it uses the language of testing. God tested Abraham. That's the very first verse. This is a word that conjures up an image of precious metal being, being heated and hammered. It's, it's being tested. Its impurities are being worked out. It's a word that speaks of wheat being sifted, beaten down, and shaken so as to remove the chaff. It's a word that gestures towards a process that is hard and demanding, anything but easy, anything but cost-free. It's the same word that's used of Job. Think of the horrific story of Job's bereavement, his, his, his physical ailments that, that God allows the tempter to bring on him. Job is worn down. All of that is bound up in that word testing. That's what Abraham is undergoing here. Second, the, the text uses the language of the fear of God. Now I know that you fear God, the angel said to Abraham at that last moment. Throughout the Old Testament, that's, that's, a, that's a language that speaks of this total self-abandonment to God. If you want to think of it in terms of New Testament, its New Testament counterpart, you might think of a word like obedience or surrender. In other words, Abraham is being portrayed as someone who is submissive, alert to God's voice, responsive to the divine summons. And third, and finally, the text points out that Abraham is asked to sacrifice Isaac in the land of Moriah. The same place, we're told later in the book of 2 Chronicles, where Solomon's temple mount was to be found. In other words, if we read this story of Abraham and Isaac listening for its resonance and its harmony with other parts of the Bible... We're encouraged to view Abraham here as the first in a long line of worshipers who come to that particular place to encounter the God of Israel. Abraham, says the biblical scholar Walter Moberly, is here a type of Israel. His fear of God and sacrifice on Moriah is the pattern for Israel's fear and sacrifice at Moriah, at Jerusalem, at Zion. Abraham's sacrifice is a kind of ideal pattern 
for what God would later urge his people, the Israelites, to do year by year. In their sacrificial temple worship, they were not only to bring their offering, but their entire selves before God, laid bare before God, as it were. Abraham is the model. Well, in all these ways, I think our text is making the point that Abraham went all the way to the end of what Von Rod calls that road out into God-forsakenness. He went to the uttermost extreme. As I was working on this, I found myself thinking of those lines from T.S. Eliot. A condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. That's what Abraham embodies in this passage. But for us Christians especially during Lent. This story is not only or even primarily about Abraham as a, as a figure of history or a, or a saint, an exemplary moral figure. Abraham's anguish sacrifice, his utterly costly obedience, is meant to remind us of the anguish of another who shed his own tears on a nearby mount. Abraham's story is preserved and cherished by us, not primarily for what it tells us about Abraham, but for what it tells us about our Lord. Many hundreds of years later, one of Abraham's offspring, a Jew who feared God, would be tested. He would take three of his disciples, just as Abraham took Isaac and his servants with him to Moriah. He would walk to a mount, to a garden, in very close proximity to Mount Moriah, and he would collapse in agonized prayer. I am deeply grieved, even to death, he would say. He would begin to walk his own road out into God-forsakenness, to use Von Rod's words again. He would pray that if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. He would say, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. As Abraham laid Isaac on the altar and submitted to the dark providence of God, Jesus Christ would pray, not what I want, but what you want, Father. And what God would want in this case would seem even more bizarre and devastating than what God wanted Abraham to do. And yet, he would obey. He would be Abraham, lifting the knife to plunge it into the heart of his own preference, his own self-will. He would be Isaac, yielding up his life. And he would be the ram, caught in the nearby thicket, dying on the altar in Isaac's place. He, Jesus, would bring to a climax and a crescendo that awful trajectory of self-sacrifice that we read about in the story of Abraham offering Isaac. And he would do it, not for any sort of masochistic, moralistic self-aggrandizement, but he would do it for love of me and you today. He would do it for love of his father and the love of his wayward people. He would be the true descendant of Abraham, the true Israelite, that we might know forever the covenant love of God. In reading Abraham's story, we catch a glimpse of the true depths of Jesus' self-gift to us. We see the devotion and the faithfulness of Jesus. We see Jesus hearing and obeying his Father's voice. We see Jesus walking the long road to Moriah. We see Jesus carrying the wood for the altar, and we see him laying down his life. We see him dying for us. 
And we hear, even in that place of uttermost extremity, that uttermost place of of God-forsakenness, we catch a moment, a hint of the promise of his resurrection. We will return. You remember Abraham says that to his servants. We will go and worship, and we will return. As Abraham hints at the promise of life beyond death, so Jesus Christ will embody it for us. On the third day, from the ashes on that altar, he will rise again on our behalf. Amen.